Well, I love Easter, okay? I love Resurrection Sunday. I love being able to preach about Jesus. Today is the most important, right? Today we're celebrating the most important event in all of human history, okay? And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 28. What we're going to be doing today is we are going to be looking at the event of the resurrection. We're going to be looking at the evidence of the resurrection. And then we're going to be looking at the effects of the resurrection. Because you see, today, what we're celebrating today, like this is it. This is why we are Christians. Because Jesus himself rose from the dead. That because he lives, we have hope. Because he lives, we can have peace. We can have joy and we can have purpose. And over the next uh, month, we're going to be unpacking those different things. Because he lives, we have hope. So, but today we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're looking at the event, we're looking at the evidence, and we're looking at the effect. So let's go ahead and look in the scriptures, Matthew chapter 28. But before we get there, if we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, like he can't raise from the dead unless he's died, right? It's kind of prerequisite for a resurrection. So let's go back a couple days to Good Friday. Jesus is hanging on the tree, on that cross for you and for me. You see, when he was in the garden, he said, God, if there is any other way that I don't have to go through this, please, if you can take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. So why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Like, why couldn't there be some other way? If we look in Scripture, it is very clear that God is loving and forgiving and gracious. He forgives sin, wickedness, and rebellion. And praise the Lord, because you know what? I need that. You need it. But the Bible also says, right along the next verse, and he punishes sin. Sin is punished because God is just. Scripture is quite clear that God, while he's loving and gracious and just, he also has a righteous anger towards sin, a righteous judgment towards sin. And that means that a sinful person like me, a sinful person like you, you can't just live forever with God. Your sin stands in the way. And so there's two ways I kind of want to illustrate what happened on the cross of Jesus Christ. So I've got right here, set it right here. I just got some regular water, okay? And I need a little sip of water first. I got a little bit of regular water here. I'm going to pour that in this cup here. And in Scripture, in the prophets, sometimes they would talk about God's, the punishment for sin, God's wrath towards sin, God's judgment is pictured as a cup full of some, something really nasty to drink, okay? Now, we're going to have to use our imaginations because, in my opinion, this vitamin drink right here is not so nasty, okay? But I, but I, I just needed something to use, okay? So, but here's the picture of what happens on the cross. Like I said, in Scripture, God's judgment is often shown in, in the prophecies as a drink. Bubbling up, foaming, and something you wouldn't want to have to drink. And on the cross, the picture is this. We're going to imagine this cup is all the guilt, shame, condemnation of all of your sins in one drink. Multiplied by billions and billions of people. I mean, what if you could feel all the shame for all your sin in one moment? 
And on the cross, what Jesus did in your place and mine, like this is yours. You have to drink this, Walt, okay? This is your sin. That's what happens when you sit close. This is yours. You have to drink it. This is mine. I have to drink it. And that means there's death, physical death, and separation from from God forever. But on the cross, this is what Jesus did. He took it all. And he said, it is finished. What was finished? The cup of God's wrath was gone. That's why he had to die. Because we can't drink this cup and survive. We can't drink this cup and, be, and, and continue to exist. But you see, he's man, so he could drink the cup in our place. But he's God, so when he drank the cup and he finished it to the very last part, to the dregs of the cup, he then could still say, it is finished. And he died. But because he's God, he rose from the dead. And there's no more judgment for you to drink if you put your faith in Jesus. That's why he had to die. Uh, the other way to kind of look at this is like this. I've got this vase and I've got a really cool stirring stick I found in our driveway this morning. But I needed something big enough to use. We'll just take that out there. So we got some water. This is kind of like our life, okay? Our water, that's our, a picture of our life, of who we are. I'm going to have a mess up here later. In this here, food coloring. Thank you, Sue, wherever you are. Uh, This is sin. And uh, we all sin, right? Sin is when we say, think, or do something that's against God's perfect standard. And when we sin, it covers our life, right? We're tainted by sin. There's no escaping it. There's nothing we can do about it. On our own, we're kind of tainted like this. But here's what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. It says, Jesus had one sacrifice. And by his one sacrifice, he has forever perfected those who are in the process of being made holy. So his sacrifice, kind of what it does, okay, this is some Clorox no-splash formula bleach, okay? And what his sacrifice does for us Is what this bleach is going to do to this water. And we'll close it back up. And we'll set it here for a bit. And we won't knock it over, okay? And we'll come back to it after a bit. So Jesus had to die in your place and mine. And that's what Good Friday is about. That's what we celebrated here on Good Friday. And you know what? As we get into the scripture today in Matthew chapter 28, it's now Saturday. And then it's the day after the Sabbath. It's Sunday morning. I want you to put yourselves in the place of Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who go to look at the tomb. You see, they're going back to the tomb to finish repairing Jesus' body for burial. What would it be like How would you be preparing yourself to encounter the brutalized body of a friend who had died three days ago? That's where they were at. That's where they were at. 
And here's the story of Sunday morning. Verse 2 of Matthew chapter 28. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. I mean, can you imagine that? Blasting right there. His clothes were as white as snow. The guards that were guarding the tomb were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. These are Roman soldiers. They're so freaked out, they faint. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus. And if we were to look over in the book of Luke, is it talking about this? He says, Why do you look for the living among the dead? And I don't know about you, but if I'm Mary Magdalene there, Because I'm looking for a dead guy, that's why. Like, I just spent the last day and a half mentally, physically, emotionally preparing to see the body of my dearly loved friend. That's why I'm here. Why do you look for the living among the the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember what he told you when he was in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into, into the hands of sinful men. Be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Back to Matthew. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead and it's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. They're going there to meet the dead body of their friend. And the angel says, he's not here, he's risen. And they're afraid because that angel was fearsome enough that the guards fainted. And he's like, don't be afraid. Like, good, because I was terrified, absolutely terrified. Lightning right here in front of me. And they're afraid, but they're joyful. And what do we do? And they, they, they run out. They're going to go tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. What would it have been like to be there? This is not the encounter they were expecting. This is not the brutalized body of a friend. This is a glorified body. Yes, the scars are still there of Jesus Christ, their friend, the Savior of the world, who's conquered death. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city, reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. So the guards came too, and they're like, Oh man, we are in trouble. And they told the chief priest what happened. And so when the chief priest met with the elders, they devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money. And they said, you're to say, here's your story. The disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if the report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him. And we'll keep you out of trouble. Because if they fell asleep and the governor found out about it, so here's some money, we'll, we'll smooth it out. The disciples stole the body. Okay, verse 15. So the soldiers took the money, did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Flipping over to Luke chapter 24. When the ladies came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told the apostles. We've seen Jesus. The angel said he wasn't there, but we've seen him. But guess what? They didn't believe him. No, no, he's crazy. You're out of your mind. He's dead. We saw it. We saw him. He's gone. But Peter got up, ran to the tomb. I love Peter. He can be real bold and brash with his mouth. He can be real bold and brash with his actions. Sometimes he gets it right. Sometimes he gets it wrong. But he just takes off, books it there. And he gets there and he looks inside and he sees the the cloths over there as if the body just kind of disappeared. And he leaves and he's wondering what had happened. 
what was going on. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. These are two of Jesus' followers going on a seven-mile journey to Emmaus, and they're just kind of like unpacking what happened. Jesus died. The lady said that he's risen from the dead. What's going on? I don't understand. And, and Jesus, Jesus comes alongside them, but they didn't recognize him. And he says, what were you discussing together as you walk? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And you don't know the things that's happened here? Like, like what? Have you been in a rock for like three days? And Jesus is like, well, actually, kind of, yeah, I was under a rock for three, well, kind of behind a rock. No, he didn't say that. What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. But the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it's the third day since this all took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but, but they didn't find his body. They came out and told us they'd seen a vision of angels and he'd been raised from the dead. Some of our companions, Peter, John, they went to the tomb. They found the tomb just like the, angel, just like the women had said, but him they did not see. And catch Jesus' response. I mean, is it, would this be your response? They're grieving, they're mourning, they poured out their hearts. How foolish you are. What? We just poured out our heart to you. And slow to believe all that the prophets have written. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I wish I could have been there. That would have been a great seven-mile hike from Jerusalem to Emmaus, just hearing everything in the Old Testament about Jesus and why he had to die and suffer. But they didn't, they didn't understand that it was him. They approached the village which they were going to. Jesus acted as if he was going to keep going on, but they urged him strongly Stay with us for, it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And then here, here's the story. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. Then he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning with them? That's while he talked with us on the road and while he, while he opened the scriptures to us. So they got up and they returned to Jerusalem, like seven miles of, I can't believe what happened. What's going on? I don't know. They get there. They recognize it's Jesus. And I'm sure that seven miles back was much different, right? He was here. He talked with us that whole time and we didn't know it was him. How did we not know it was him? But it was him. And when they get back, they tell, they get back and they find that the disciples, there's a commotion there. Because they're like, we saw Jesus. They're like, yeah, yeah, we know. He appeared to Simon Peter too. Like it's really going on. And so I, I, don't, I wasn't there. But I can just imagine it's like, hey, we saw Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I saw him too. Can you believe this? What's going on? I don't know. And then Jesus shows up in their midst. Right there in the middle of them. And he says, peace to you. And they're freaked out. Because they think it's a ghost. Like they still don't believe. And Jesus is like, why, why are you doubting? Why don't you believe? A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like I have. Do you have anything to eat? I'm hungry. And they give him some fish. And he eats it. And I I can just imagine, they're just like, is it going to go in and stay in? (laughs) Or is he just going to, is he a ghost? It's just not, 
A ghost can't eat, right? I mean, a ghost isn't, a ghost isn't real, but you know what I mean. Spirit can't eat. He showed himself to be alive. He was back. You see, I, I want to go through some of these scriptures, and we're going to look at one in John, because I want you to see the detail of what's going on. I want you to see the many people that have seen Jesus. But you know what? On this day, this is still Easter, Easter day. There's one person who wasn't there. Go ahead and turn to the book of John. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, he was not with the disciples when Jesus had, had came. I mean, like, what a bummer. Like, what was he doing? Like, was he out getting lunch? or what? I don't know. But he comes back like, we saw Jesus. And he's like, Mm-mm-mm. unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and, and unless I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He's like, I, no, I got to see it. I got to touch it. I got to test it. I have to confirm it. So a week later, the next Sunday, the disciples were in the house and Thomas is there. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he looks at Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Do you see the graciousness of Jesus, Thomas? You needed to see. You needed to feel. Here. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Thomas got it. The chapter ends like this. Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas, you needed to see and experience. I'm glad, I'm glad you believe. Blessed are those who don't see and yet still believe. And then John says this. Jesus did many other miracles in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written that you may be persuaded that Jesus is the Savior you need. His death was enough for you. His resurrection really did happen. And there's life for you if you receive it by faith. That's, that, that's the event of the resurrection. That's what we see in Scripture. It's not about being good enough. You don't get to the end of your life and be like, well, I lived, I, I tried to live the best life that I could. That's not what gets you into heaven. Because it, it, it kind of would be like this. Look, that bleach worked, didn't it? Without the bleach, I couldn't get the red out. I can try to do good, but I can't get the red out. I need something else poured in to cleanse me. It's not about how good you are or how bad you're not. We all are tainted by sin. We need the bleach of the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us. You don't get to the end of your life and say, well, I I, I hope I was good enough. You're not. You don't have to be because Jesus died in your place. And you know what? Where did I put it? Is it over here now? We'll find it. Mm, I'll find it later. Because you know what? When we believe in Jesus, it's not that we never sin anymore. And I don't know where I put the food coloring, but if I were to stick it in there, it'd get red a little bit, and it would start to clean it again. Because the blood of Jesus Christ, one sacrifice is enough for all time. But you see, what, what I want us to do is we're going to lean a little bit into a study that, that I've done uh, by a William named William Lane Craig. He's a Christian apologist, okay? Now, that doesn't mean he goes around saying he's sorry about everything, okay? In, in Greek, the word apologist has the idea of logos is in there, and a means out of, so it's speaking out of. 
So it's really about defending your faith. Now, um, a, a quick disclaimer. I don't agree with everything in William Lane Craig's ministry, especially what he talks about with Genesis and things like that. I think he gets this part about the resurrection really good. And it's really helpful for us because his whole ministry is that our faith, there is a reasonable rationale to our faith. It's not just a blind leap out there into nothing. It is a very reasonable thing to put our faith in Jesus. And there's three ways that he shows it about the resurrection. Because you see, if the resurrection really happened, it changes everything. If Jesus really rose from the dead, what are you going to do about it? If Jesus really is the only way to heaven, it's your choice, not mine. So we're going to look at three things. The resurrection appearances, the empty tomb, and the origin of the Christian faith. How, do these, how, do, how are these evidence that we can put along with the scripture that show that our faith is a reasonable, rational thing as well? Well, first of all, let's look at the resurrection appearances. In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, Paul says this. He says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news, that I preached to you, when, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. This is a very basic of the gospel. By this gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you will have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you. What I got from the very beginning, I'm giving to you. Of first importance, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And after that, he appeared to Peter, then the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, the brother of Jesus, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, as one abnormally born. Now, why is this evidence for the resurrection? Paul is quoting an old Christian formula or creed. He says from the very beginning, the message was Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he has appeared to Peter, the apostles, 500 people over here, James, the other apostles, and now myself. These people are still alive. The, the letter is written. 500 people had seen Jesus at the same time. You can go ask them about it. Or they can come and say, nah, it didn't happen. I was there and Jesus wasn't there. No, no, no. Sometimes when, when scholars want to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they want to see, can we see evidence that this has become more like a legend? Like here's the facts, but it's grown and grown and grown. But that takes generations. And this was from within five years of Jesus' death. There's not enough time for legends to grow like that. The Gospels were written during the time... Hey, sweetie. The Gospels were written during the time that people who knew Jesus and had seen his ministry were still living. So you could cross-reference it. And somebody could say, no, I was there. It didn't happen. But that's, that's not what happened. You see, the accounts that we have of the resurrection are very early. Many people saw Jesus. They are very, very reliable. And the Gospels were written and circulated in this li same lifetime of the eyewitnesses. It could have been repudiated. No, that wasn't the way. But that's not what happened. It didn't evolve over time. It could be tested, asked about, and confirmed or disproved. And it was confirmed time and time again. Number two, the empty tomb. This is interesting. Hundreds of years ago, the empty tomb was once regarded as an offense to modern intelligence, an embarrassment to Christian theology. 
Okay, because they're like, no, the tomb wasn't empty. But now across the board, Christian scholars and non-Christian scholars agree the tomb was empty. They just may disagree on why. But the empty tomb of Jesus has come to assume the place among the generally accepted facts concerning the historical Jesus and the supports of Jesus' resurrection. The burial story in the Gospels is one of the most historically certain traditions we have concerning Jesus. All across the board, scholars would say, yes, Jesus lived, he died, and the tomb was empty, whether they're a Christian or not. Now, why is that evidence? If Christ's body had remained in the tomb, there'd be no Christianity. You see, the disciples... Jewish believing were looking forward to a resurrection at the end. Not a resurrection of right now. They weren't expecting Jesus to raise from the dead. He's going to raise from the dead at the end of time. Not right now. And if somebody were to say, Jesus rose from the dead, but his body's still in the grave, they'd be like, you're crazy. That's not a resurrection. But the tomb was empty. The next part, if you read through the gospel accounts, the answer's up on the screen, but who, who's the first one who discovered the empty tomb? It's on the screen. You can, it's an easy one. What? Yeah, women. Now, in that time, in the Jewish culture, the women were on a low rung of society. Their testimony did not count in a court of law. So if you were to make this up, you would not write into the story that women were the first ones to see it. Because people would be like, well, that doesn't count. They're a woman. Now, that's, that's not my views, Okay. Make sure I say that. But if you were making that up, you wouldn't do that. You'd have to have somebody special and important that could be trusted in society. But that's not what happened. And then get this. The earliest Jewish arguments propose an empty tomb. The Jewish leaders don't go, no, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. His body's still in there. They said, no, he didn't rise from the dead. You stole his body. Okay? They weren't even arguing that the body was still there. The tomb was empty. That's something that's accepted across the board. So, how was it empty? This is where we get the origin of the Christian faith. Why is this important as we look at Scripture? You know, there's not too many options to look at of why the tomb was empty. The very origin of Christianity is believing that Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples pinned everything on it. It was the hinge point. They were willing to be thrown out of the synagogue. They were willing to be killed for their faith. They said Jesus rose from the dead and they gave their whole life for it. And you know what? All the disciples were killed for their faith. Except for John, who they couldn't kill him, so they exiled him out onto an island by himself. They gave their whole life for it. They pinned everything on it. Paul said if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we are the most pitied of all people. If we only have hope for this life... And it's sorry for us. The origin of Christianity hinges on the belief that the earliest disciples believed that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. Where did this belief come from? He actually did rise from the dead. That would be what I would posit, what I would put out there. But you see, if somebody denies that Jesus really rose from the dead, they must explain why did the disciples believe it then. Is there anything from their Jewish history that would point to them looking for Jesus to be raised from the dead? And the answer is no. The Jews were not waiting for the Messiah to be resurrected from the dead. They were waiting for a resurrection of all people, good and bad, the bad people to judgment, the good people to the righteousness of God. That's what they were looking for. They weren't waiting for Jesus to be resurrected from the dead. 
William Lane Craig quotes this uh, a scholar, Professor Moule from Cambridge. He says this, If the coming into existence of the Nazarenes, the followers of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christians, a phenomenon that is undeniably attested by the New Testament, if it rips a hole in history, the size and shape of the resurrection, what does the secular historian propose to fill it with? The birth and the rapid rise of the Christian church remain an unsolved enigma for any historian who refuses to take seriously the only explanation offered by the church itself. If a hole, the shape and size of the resurrection is ripped into history and the evidence supports it, what can really fit it? I would say it is only the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now quickly, before we go to looking at the effect of the resurrection and wrap things up here. Here's three things you may hear in popular culture against the resurrection. Number one, oh no, the tomb was empty because the disciples stole his body. Well, you know what? In the midst of that time, imagine yourself as a disciple. You're mourning the loss of your best friend, of your teacher. You're afraid for your life. You don't have the psychological and emotional energy to put this grand scheme together to go steal the body. And then after that, to spend your whole life saying, he's alive, he's alive, when you know it was fake. That wasn't, that's not something that would have happened. And the Roman soldiers of the day, they don't just let people come and steal things they're supposed to be watching. Sometimes people would say, you know what, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He, he swooned, he fainted, and they put him in the tomb, and, and he kind of resuscitated there. I want you to imagine this. First of all, the Romans are really good at crucifixion. Second of all, if Jesus happened to survive that, what do you think the chances are of him surviving in a tomb by himself after that? And then number three, suppose he does. Impossible of impossible. He swooned, he fainted. He has enough strength to push the rock away. He comes to his disciples and he says, I've defeated death. They'd be like, no, you're about to die, man. Like, we got to get you help. There's no way that Jesus could have fainted and come to his disciples and been like, look, I've defeated death. The last one is sometimes people would say, you know what, they hallucinated. When they saw Jesus, it was a hallucination. But you see, hallucinations are often things that are already in our mind. They weren't, they weren't expecting to see Jesus raised from the dead. They weren't. Not then, later. And the idea that... that Everybody would see the same thing at the same time. Scholars would say, no, that's right. None, none of these line up at all. So we went through the, the event. We went through the evidence. And the reason why to do that is to show that our faith in Jesus raising from the dead, it's not merely a blind leap in the dark. We do have a rational and reasonable faith. And you know what? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to know this. We Christians really believe Jesus died for our sins. We really believe he rose from the dead. We do. We really believe he's coming back one day and we believe that after we die, we'll go to be with him forever. We really believe that. We stake our lives on it. But you know what? It's not the evidence of the resurrection that is a pin for our faith. Our faith is not founded on the evidence of the resurrection, but on the event. That it really, truly happened. Because we can look at the evidence... And we can look at the evidence of the changed life of your friends, of your own change that God is working within you. But we have to come to a place where we see Jesus on the cross. 
And we say, I deserved to drink that cup. The nails should have been mine. And you did it for me. And it's enough to forever cleanse me. I'm persuaded. I trust you. I believe in you. The best picture I have of, of belief in my mind is laying down in a hammock. Anybody ever laid in a hammock? Anybody ever like try to lay in a hammock and it flipped over on you? Anybody ever done that? Okay. Sometimes I'll bring a chair up here and sit in it. You can rest in Jesus. A hammock works better, but it's harder to do. Okay. Because a hammock's different than a chair. I believe this hammock's going to hold me up, but there comes a t- you can't really like ease into a hammock. It's like ah, uh, and then you just got to go and hope it holds you and you don't flip out, right? Jesus is like a hammock. That's not going to flip you over. Faith is like saying, I trust that I can lay down in this hammock and it's going to hold me up. I trust that Jesus died in my place, rose again, and that is enough to pay for and cover my sins. And you lay down in him and you rest. And that's what it means to believe. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to be good enough because guess what? You can't. If you're here today and you think, I'm a good person, isn't that it? No, it's not enough. It's not. You'll never get the red out of the water without the bleach that's the blood of Jesus Christ. But here's the good news. Jesus died in your place. And the resurrection shows that the death worked. It is finished and he dies. If he stayed dead, well, did it work? He rose from the dead. Whoever puts their faith in Jesus, we will too. So what is the effect of the resurrection? The effect of the resurrection is because he lives, we have hope. Hope that doesn't disappoint. Hope that carries us in the midst of the craziness of our world. I mean, just think of the last couple of years, right? The pandemic, riots, turmoil, the war in Ukraine right now, the looming possible recession, everything that's going on. You know what? That can make us feel really shaky and concerned and afraid. I've been there. Sometimes I'm still there. I have hope. Because this isn't my home. One day Christ is going to return. And I'm going to spend heaven with him. And I'm going to spend forever with him. That's the hope we have in Christ. And so if you are here today and you feel like you are without hope, I want you to know Jesus died in your place. He drank the cup. He cleanses you forever forever and he offers to you life new life now and eternal life forever and you receive it when you look at him and you say you're persuaded that's what it means to believe I need a savior and your death cleanses me save me I trust you that's it and if you want to do that today, or our praise man's going to come on up. We're going to close out service with, because he lives. If you want to do that today, you can do that in your seats right here. You can come forward during the song if you want to talk to me. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to go to church enough times. You don't have to do all these good things. You can't get the red out of the water by doing good. You need a Savior. And I want you to know, Jesus is that Savior. His death worked. He rose again. It's true. I know it. And because of that, I 
have. We have hope. Will you join me in in prayer? Jesus, I thank you for your death and your resurrection. I thank you that one day you are coming again, that this is not our home, that we can have hope in the midst because we know you're in control. We know that you're working and you're moving. You're going to carry us through this and you're going to use us in the midst. You're the light of the world and we are little lights in the world for you. So if you're here today and you're a Christian, just take a moment. Thank God for the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just thank Him. Thank Him for the hope you have. If hope is a struggle for you, ask Him, God, will you, you the God of peace, fill me with all joy and peace and trust in you that I may abound with hope by the Holy Spirit. That's a great prayer to pray. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you want Him to be your Savior, then just ask Him. You don't have to have the right words. It's just, I need you. I know you're enough, even if I don't understand it. Save me. And if that's you today, while we have all our the eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, if that's you, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, go ahead and put your hand up. Yeah, I see that hand. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and sing out of this. <laughs>